Because once you can see the whole snapshot of your life in one shot, that's going to really tell you a lot, you know, about who you really want to become. Okay? Mm-hmm. Because you might find like, hey, I want to start this makeup business and so on. But if you were to really look at your life and your values and who you want to be and what you want your life to look like on a daily basis, you might say, you know what? Yes, I, I'm interested in this, but it doesn't really fit what I want my whole life to look like. And you're going to get a much more accurate picture of kind of where, what aligns with your life vision. And then I think once you're clear on your, what your life, your business vision, the kind of business model you'll want to pursue, all of that starts to get a lot more clear, right? But I find people start in the business model area. And sometimes it doesn't, it really, there's a mismatch between the business model and the lifestyle that they want to lead. Welcome everyone to The Ultimate Shift. Join Ephraim Glick and leading figures in business and entertainment as they share their stories of regular people overcoming tremendous obstacles only to achieve happiness, success, and fulfillment. Are you ready to make the ultimate shift in your life? Welcome back to The Ultimate Shift. Today, we have a guest by the name of Rocky Buckley, who is also an entrepreneur, and uh, he you help other entrepreneurs kind of get their message out yeah. and create courses and things like that. You're familiar with the online space as well as business. So welcome to the show, Rocky. And just can you just tell us a little bit about you and how you got here? Sure. Well, speaking to you right now from Charlottesville, Virginia, where we relocated down here about 12 years ago, I'm a lifelong New Jersey guy, Jersey guy relocated down to Virginia. My path that has led me to here Basically, that's relevant anyway. (laughs) There's a lot more to it, obviously, before that. But I went into business about 22 years ago, and it was more of a consulting business where I was working with large corporations to create training programs, books, curriculum, mostly in the educational space. Worked with very big clients like Wiley, Pearson Education, Macmillan. And over the next 20-something years, I helped those companies to bring about 3,000 different projects and products to the market. Revenue, probably over $100 million, somewhere north of that. And so I've had my hands in a lot of different things, a lot of different projects. I've worn a lot of different hats, everything from authoring to project management to design and running teams in India, things like that. So over my, you know, over over that time, I worked with a lot of authors and experts and people that had high value information. A couple of years ago, I decided that I was going to reinvent myself. I really wanted to do something that I was a lot more passionate about and work with the kind of people that I felt like I really resonated most with. And I really wanted to enjoy my business a lot more than I was. So I kind of shifted what I did somewhat to working more with solo entrepreneurs than large corporations. And my real goal is to work with people who have high potential. They've got a lot of knowledge, a lot of talent and ability that's kind of untapped. They haven't really maximized their potential and built the business and the life that they really love and I really kind of help them to do that. So that takes the form of helping them to articulate their strategy, their personal brand, how they package their information, their knowledge into products, programs, courses, memberships, masterminds, things like that. So that's essentially what I do. That's awesome. That's a very, I would say, a very needed space or a lot of space to be filled in, in that arena right now. When you were a kid... Did you always grow up thinking you're going to be an entrepreneur? You, did you, what did you think you were going to end up doing? I would say my first real love that I just became like absolutely passionate about was baseball. So as a, as a kid and then as a teenager, 
you know, I thought I was going to be a pro baseball player. I, I wanted to be a you know, catcher, catcher for the Yankees. That was my real. <laughs> so that was like my real driving passion as a teenager. Um, as I went on, I, I got more interested in the creative aspects, which I've always been a creative person. So as I got older and I got more into college, my interest started to shift more into film. And then so filmmaking was a big thing. And then my life took a big detour into the area of ministry. And I got very involved in, in ministry leadership. And I built some ministry stuff. And, and you know, my life really kind of went in that direction for a while. So I, I kind of zigzagged quite a bit in my 20s. And then in my 30s, I got a job with a big publishing company. And while I was working for them, I started to kind of see opportunities for like the kind of people that I was paying to do work. I would be paying people to do page layout on books or proofread or copy edit or build websites and things like that. And I started to realize like I'm paying these people a lot of money. They're, they're making more than I'm making and I could learn how to do that. And so that was sort of you know, the evolution of kind of how I went from an employee to starting my business, I just really kind of saw an opportunity. So no, I didn't, I didn't look at being an entrepreneur. I didn't grow up around any entrepreneurs. My dad was a police officer. My mom was a nurse. We didn't have anybody in my family who was in business. So really, when I went into business, I had to learn everything from scratch. I really didn't have any kind of frame of reference for what I was getting into. So when I first started, it was really the whole idea of being my own boss not having to work somewhere to work from home. Those were my two big, you know, things that I was looking at making more money, of course, but the big thing was being my own boss and being able to work from home. And I never really realized just basic things about business. Like you could build your business in a way that you could sell it. That never even occurred to me for a long time. And, and so I started off as a, a technician doing the work. Yeah, I got busy right away. And, you know, and it was 10 years later, really, before I started to even realize, like I could build this business into something more than a glorified job. And so yeah. it basically took off from there. That's awesome. When, when it comes to, you know, you're talking about your twenties and trying different things. And this is a two part question. I'm probably going to end up like that is I'm, I'm very interested in your take on, you know, you, you wanted to play for the Yankees and then, then you found other things that interested you. Do you, feel, well, let's just start with one question. Do you feel that people get hung up on the idea of passion and, and doing what you're passionate about? versus making a living could because sometimes those two don't align right yeah and what's your take on that and what would you advise say a, a 20 year old going into his career or think or not going into a career because they're trying to maybe do something they consider themselves passionate about well i mean it depends on kind of i think what you whether you want your business to be your vocation in life some people are able to just like hey i have an idea for a business i don't have to be passionate about it Maybe I want to open up a string of laundromats or something like I don't need a lot of passion to be able to do something like that. Right. I just need to know how to do it, make money. And then I fulfill my passions outside of my business, whatever that might be. Right. So there, you can kind of separate the two. And so in that sense, there's no real need to blend blend them. In my own case, I, I can see this from the, the other side of having started a business that I didn't have a lot of passion about. And over a 20 year period being successful in that business, but increasingly not liking what I was doing and that and how that wore on me after, after a long period of time. I think that it's really hard when your business, especially if it's successful and you're busy, you're in that business all the time to day after day, not really love what you do. It starts to grind on you. And you also don't then have a lot of space in your life, especially if you've got a family, you know, I've got a bunch of kids, we homeschool our kids, right? So it's, 
there's a lot. There wasn't a lot of room in my life to develop other passions outside of business. So for me, my real thing after 20 years in business of not loving what I did was to really say, okay, how can I package all of this together in a way that I really love what I do, that I'm making the impact that I really want to make, you know, I'm having the influence that I want to make. I'm able to build, you know, build something that's bigger than myself that can last beyond me. So there were a bunch of criteria that I really wanted for my business that when I sort of became strategic about it, I figured out a way to blend it all together, you know, but it, but it took a lot of soul searching to go into that and, and go really after all these years, I sort of to lose, lose sense of what I really was passionate about. So I had to dig deep and rediscover that stuff and, and kind of figure it out and go, okay, how can I take what I really feel like I, I'm passionate about and bring in those things that I actually have credentials and chops in, in my business? How do I bring that together in a certain way? And it took me a while to figure that out. But if you're young, like you mentioned in your question, if you're in your 20s and it's like, I don't think you have to have your entire life figured out at that point. It's going to change a lot. I think the big thing is get that first success on the board and that gives you options to play with. It's like, okay, be successful in that first thing, work really hard at it. That's the hard stuff. You know, when you can get that success, it then creates other opportunities for you to create space, time, exploration, and so on in your life. So I don't think you have to figure it all out in your 20s. Well, when you work with, in your industry is what you would call a personal brand a lot. You're oftentimes people are very passionate about that. Do you feel that, or have you seen it rather with working with people that these things change? Like meaning even let's say you're really passionate about something at 20, maybe by the time you're 30, maybe you've got married, maybe you have a child. Do you see those passions often shifting? And if not, do you feel that it, that people should be open to those things shifting and not maybe stay stuck on this one thing because we live in an ever-changing world? Yeah, I think they definitely do shift. And I think that's actually one of the one of the really strong aspects of going into a business where you're the personal brand, where you're the face of the business. This is something Gary Vaynerchuk talks a lot about is that, you know, when you're the name, that's going to be timeless. You know, you're going to, you're going to last for however long it is 50 years. If you start in your twenties, you know, you might be in business for 50 years, you're going to shift a lot, but the one thing that's going to be constant is your name, right? So as you shift and as your interests shift and as they expand, you can take your audience with you. So how you do that, I think you have to be strategic about it. I don't think you just go one day, you know, I'm really passionate about fitness. And then the next day, now I'm into Bitcoin. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I think those like hard pivots like that are going to be very jarring for your audience. And I do see people doing that where it's like, okay, what is this person about? Every year, they're like in a new, completely new thing. And it doesn't really work out well. So I think it's really important to like stick with something until you get traction in it. And then you can start to be smart about how you gradually expand the portfolio of what you're involved in. And I think that's what a lot of big brands like Gary Vee, I think that's somebody who has now shifted a lot into NFTs, crypto, like, but he's done it elegantly in a way that made sense to his audience, right? It wasn't like a hard pivot. Yeah. Well, I think maybe he earned his audience's trust first. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he wasn't jumping all over the board the first 20 years or the first 10 years, but he's still, like you said, being very strategic about it and also explaining as to his why, which he's just yes. being open-minded. And maybe that's where a lot of people get, get hung up is that, do you feel like they just get 
tired of it too quick or it's not getting the results fast enough and therefore they jump to the next thing, but their brand loyalty isn't going to follow that. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things I help people with is really kind of getting clear, like who you are, what you want out of life, right? And designing your business around that vision. And I find that most people don't really do that deep visioning work, getting really clear on their identity, who they want to become, not only today, but five years from now, 10, 20 years from now, and how your business kind of will go on that trajectory to take you there. And I think that if people do the the deep work and they really have a very clear North Star for where they want to go, then you can strategically make those decisions about your business in a much more informed way. If you don't have that big picture clear of where you want to go, then yeah, you're going to be blown around by the wind. You're going to copycat other people, you know, and you, you may quit too soon, but then The other thing is sometimes you don't quit soon enough. Like I think there's, you know, people who are just not building enough of an audience and they're just not getting any traction on it, but they keep persisting and it doesn't work. And you're, you know, you hang on too long. I would say if you haven't really built a substantial audience yet, then you can cut bait much quicker, right? If you've got, you know, a couple hundred followers or something, that's not worth sticking something out for years trying to perfect. If you've built something fairly substantial, you've got some traction, it's not quite where you want to be, but there's some potential there, then I would be a little more reluctant to just shift course. But again, if you're if you're not really making a lot of money yet and you've got a small audience, you can afford to then, you know, bounce around until you kind of hit something that that starts to work. You spoke a little bit about, you know, designing or finding out, you know, what you really want. What does the start of that look like? Like if there's someone that says, well, I, I really want to build a personal brand or I believe in and, you know, a lot of a lot of you see a lot of girls get into the makeup world that I really believe in this industry and I love what I do. What would your advice be to someone starting that is to how do you define or how do you kind of map out, if you will, what the next five, 10 years should look like? Yeah, I think it really does start out with the life vision before the business vision. So the way that I look at it is I really try to work with somebody and get them clear on their life. And that's a very detailed process. Like you start to break your life up into different categories and you start coming up with a vision and very specific measurables in all of these key areas of your life. So that might be, who do you want to be physically? Who do you want to be relationally with your spouse, with your children? Who do you want to be intellectually or creatively? Like all of the areas or categories of your life that are important to you. I think it's important to kind of get very deep on all of those and then get, then put it all together in a composite picture. Because once you can see the whole snapshot of your life in one shot, that's going to really tell you a lot you know, about who you really want to become. Okay? Mm-hmm. Because you might find like, hey, I want to start this makeup business and so on. But if you were to really look at your life and your values and who you want to be and what you want your life to look like on a daily basis, you might say, you know what? Yes, I'm interested in this, but it doesn't really fit what I want my whole life to look like. And you're going to get a much more accurate picture of kind of where, what aligns with your life vision. And then I think once you're clear on what your life, your business vision, the kind of business model you'll want to pursue, all of that starts to get a lot more clear, right? But I find people start in the business model area. And sometimes it doesn't, it really, there's a mismatch between the business model and the lifestyle that they want to lead. So an an example of that might be somebody who, you know, they want to be a speaker. So the whole vision is I want to be on stage all over the world and be speaking to audiences. But if you were to then align that with the life vision, 
the life vision might be like, I really want to be home with my children. Right? I want to be very hands-on with my kids and all of that. And at some point you realize there's a conflict here. The life vision that you really have doesn't match with the business vision. And so there's always going to be on some level an incongruity between the two. And that's going to show up in self-sabotage down the road. Like there's going to be parts of you that like, I want to do the speaking business, but then there's the other part that says, I want to be home with my family. Those things are going to collide often on levels that that are outside of your awareness. And you're going to start to self-sabotage yourself because it doesn't, there's parts of you that are fighting with each other. Mm -hmm. And I like to get the parts of yourselves kind of all going in the same direction so that it all works. So when you start with the life vision, that gives you the opportunity to get clear on your business vision. And it's inside the business vision that you can then get clear on who do I need to be to execute this business? Do I need to be a personal brand? Do I need to be the public face? Because you may not, right? Some people, this isn't, this isn't for them to be out on camera and, and talking to people. They'd much rather build a quiet business that they can be behind the scenes and maybe sell products or things, and they're never seen publicly. And that might fit your lifestyle better, right? It took me a long time to decide whether I wanted to be a public figure at all, you know? And I really had to go through that process and go, how is this going to serve who I ultimately want to become? Does it make sense for me to be a public face? Because I wasn't for 20 years before that, you know, nobody knew who I was, but now, you know, now I'm becoming more public. So I hope that that answer, I know I rambled a little bit, but I hope that that Uh, makes sense. I like how you're breaking it down and explaining it. Let's say someone gets their their vision, their life plan, if you will, dialed down. They're they're working with you. They get that dialed down. They kind of know the industry, the business they want to get into. But now you have the financial gap, right? Like, let's say, how do we make the business fit the lifestyle? What's your advice to that as far as as you and I both know, uh, if you, you have ever started a company, there's oftentimes a financial lapse in that first, when you're trying to start oh, out, you're, you're sure. going all in. What do you advise your clients to do in that? Or is it more so as this thing starts off as a side hustle, if you will, until it gains that momentum, that steam to be able to fund itself? Yeah, I think it, I mean, it depends on the type of business, right? Some businesses you you can't just, like you need capital for. So it really depends on the type of business that you're that you're starting. Does it require employees? Does it require product? You know, are you inventing something, right? So it can really vary widely. But I do think that if you're somebody like I was, if you were starting out more as a solo entrepreneur, you've got a partner or a small team, and you're like in a consulting sort of space, and you've got to kind of take on whatever, you know, whatever work comes in, you've got to do, whether it's not ideal. I think you still do those things, but I think what the vision is the thing that allows you to keep moving in the right direction. So yes, you can be making money. Yes, you can be doing things that you don't necessarily love as long as you're mindfully moving toward those in some way, right? You're, you're offering some new things. You're, you're figuring out ways to generate leads in those areas, right? So I think you can continue to grow and develop it, even if you know, you've got to eat some projects that like you really didn't love. You didn't love the client. You, you know, I think we all had to do that in those early years. Right. Just take what you can to pay. The I bill. think you can. I think so. And I think sometimes, you know, good, good fortune happens in those situations. You take on a project that you didn't have a lot of, you know, interest in necessarily, but it was going to pay the bills. And all of a sudden it opened up a new world to you that you weren't, you know, you weren't aware of, right? You're working in a new vertical that you were never in before. And it's like, wow, I never realized that, you know, the security business was so interesting, right? Or that, you know, and maybe you find a niche there. Sometimes, you know, 
serendipity happens, but you're never going to get there unless you allow yourself the opportunity to try different things. You know, I had to take on a lot of projects where I didn't have a core skill set and I had to go hire somebody to do it. But now it allowed me to offer new things to my clients because now I've got a freelancer that I'm working with who's really good in this area. And now I can get projects that I would never even offer before, right? So, or you build a team that way, whatever. So I think give yourself opportunity to experience different things and experiment in those early years. I like that. What do you find is the number one thing that throws people off or distracts them from the vision that they've, you know, after they've written out that vision, what's the biggest distraction that you've seen that would throw people off? I mean, life gets really busy. And especially if you're good at what you do and you, you, you know, your business case starts to take off and gets really busy, it can become all consuming. So I like to make sure that I put time in the calendar to get away and be able to think. I think very few entrepreneurs ever give themselves the headspace to be able to think on any regular basis. So what I would recommend is, you know, if you find yourself in that place, take your calendar out and try to carve out, you know, a three-day weekend where you go away to the beach or something like that. Or every week or every couple of weeks, you're going to go to Starbucks with a notebook for a couple of hours and just think about your business. Be able to get some perspective on it and work on it, get outside of it. It's that whole Michael Gerber e-myth thing, right? Not working in the business, but working on the business. I think you've got to be proactive about scheduling time in your calendar to do that because you know you can blink and six months have gone by and now you haven't even looked at that vision again. And it's like you've got to re, you know, refamiliarize yourself with your own vision, you know, yeah. because that that's what can happen. And you know, my business w- was very seasonal in, in certain aspects, and I would basically be busy from like April all the way through September. And, you know, and I had didn't, had no air, no time to breathe. And I would often have to like, wow, I just came through the summer and like I had to re, you know, reconnect with all that stuff I was thinking about in February and March. Yeah. That can happen. That's realistic for it to happen. But I think you've got to be proactive in carving out that space for yourself. I, I was writing that down because that's that's 100% something that I need to do in, in my career. Uh, my, I was going to ask you, you know, what you recommend as far as keeping that vision in front of you. You know, for me, it's journaling. I journal a lot, almost daily, about that vision. But is that the answer? Maybe is finding that time. Like you said, maybe it's going to Starbucks with a notepad. Is, is that how you keep that vision alive? Yeah, I think one of the things that, you know, I, I recommend, I mean, I've struggled with this myself, so I have not mastered this by any means. But the daily habits, the daily rituals, I think everything ultimately breaks down to habits. And so getting very, very clear on like, okay, what are those priorities in my life? And how do I habitualize those into my daily calendar? You know, that's where the rubber meets the road for so many things, you know. And so a morning ritual, you know, the Hal Elrod miracle morning is something that's become popular for a lot of people to do. Setting out that one hour during the day where you can, you know, have some silence, quiet with yourself, maybe do some affirmations, you know, journal, meditate, think, read, pour into yourself, right? Invest back into yourself. I think for a lot of people, that's, that's probably the best way to do it is to build in some kind of a morning ritual, you know, and then a night, an evening ritual too. Like you want to create bookends in your day so that they feed into each other. You're creating a feedback loop. So you're finishing the day a certain way. You're, you know, keeping fresh. You're allowing your mind to work overnight while you're dreaming. You know, you're, you're allowing your imagination to, to work for you. 
And then in the morning you get up and you have, you know, you're exercising or whatever it is. I think that miracle morning is a good template for a lot of people. Create your own, but that's a good place to start. If nobody's done a, a morning ritual, I would say start with that book and then, you know, figure it out from there what works for you. But I would say that's a way for you to pretty much guarantee that you're not going to lose sight of your goals and you're not going to become unanchored, you know, to your vision and where you want to go. Build Morning Ritual. And another great book, by the way, another great book is Atomic Habits by James. Oh, yeah. yeah. Atomic yeah. Habits is a, is, a, is a phenomenal book. I recommend it to everybody. Well, well worth everybody's reading for sure. Yeah, it's a great book. Well, and I feel like if you don't do those things and, and trust me, I, like you said, I'm too, I'm not a master at them. I have my morning routines. It's the night thing that I feel like with the, how you worded yeah. that, that I probably should really pay attention to because oftentimes as entrepreneurs, we'll go to bed with the chaos still in our head. Oh, yeah. And then you're waking up with the chaos and now you've got to take even more time. Whereas if, if we implemented something along the lines of what you're talking about, you're clearing your mind and therefore you can wake up with a clear mind and now you're not having to waste that 15 minutes clearing it before you can even start with yeah. your new day. So it, I really it makes a big difference. I mean, in re reality though, it, it does get tough, especially if you've got a family and your mm -hmm. family has it, has a schedule, right? So your kids have events at night and yeah. the, th the key to the morning ritual is you've got to be able to get to bed on time. Yeah. That's been, that's always been my struggle because with a family and a, a very active life with them, it's been hard for me to control my bedtime in a way that allows me to predictably like get up in the morning. So I've had a fight with that, but as my kids have gotten older, it's gotten easier to do it, but the night ritual really does. Oh. So you've got to create that time. Like, and you've got to maybe be a little bit selfish about it. I think, you know, yeah. and I say that in a good, in a good way, I think there's a healthy area where you can say, you know what, I've really got to put my flag in the ground and say, I have to take this time for me. And, you know, when we have families and things like that, we're reluctant to do that. It's hard to do that. Our spouse is working really hard too, and they may not be taking that time for themselves either. And it's hard to say like, okay, I need this you know, hour or half hour, or I've got to go to bed at nine o'clock. Yeah. You know, the house needs to be quiet or it's hard to do that, but you've got to control your environment because your environment is what allows you to set up the proper structures and systems to have the right habits. You know, so yeah. there's a lot to that, but you know, in concept, that's how it works. I've got three. Wow. Three kids. And then I don't have any children, so I can't. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I find it hard to make a time. <laughs> so yeah, it is. You know? you. Oh, thank you. But it, it is tough. And, you know, we homeschool. So that's, that adds a whole other layer. Our kids yeah. are here They're you know, we're doing school in the house. So that was one of the nice things with lifestyle is I've gotten to see everything. My kids have not missed anything. I've been around for my kids whole upbringing, but at the same time, you know, there's, there's not a lot of separation unless you can create yeah. that. When you started on like, say your vision for what you wanted your lifestyle to be, how long did you find that it took for you to kind of started reaping those rewards and, and seeing this, this fruition come to life, if you will. And do you think that sometimes people get too impatient in that time frame? Because I'm sure the time can vary depending on what you're doing. And like we talked about before, what industry you're in and how, how much luck you have essentially in, in finding, you know, yeah. different things. The luck is a big deal too, is it? I, it's not only that you need to have good luck. The way I'd like to put it is you also need the absence of bad luck. Yeah. For a while. Like you don't necessarily need like magic to happen, but you also don't need to have things come out of the blue and like sabotage your life. Right. You know, things that you completely unexpected out of your control. Somebody gets sick or there's some 
you know, some event that happens that you weren't accounting for, those can really derail you. I've had a number of those happen to me along the way too. And I would say, you know, in terms of how quickly things happen, I think as long as you can see yourself making progress, right? Like you're going to have some things happen. I'm putting this thing in motion. Now I've created this thing that I didn't have before. You know, now I've got my email list set up or I've got my autoresponder or now my landing page is done. And now this is, as long as you can start to see progress, I think that's, that gives you the encouragement to keep going. It's probably like, you know, trying to do a body transformation. You know, once you start to see, oh, I'm starting to actually build some muscle or, you know, I can fit in these pants. <laughs> like you're not where you want to be necessarily, but you can see that progress and that progress inspires you and it encourages you to keep going and, and maybe even dig a little deeper, you know, taking yeah. it further. Do you think this is kind of out in left field, but, but I think about this a lot. And do you think that when you're talking about visualizing your ideal life, if you will, and I'm a big, I'm big on designing your life intentionally, is something I'm kind of known for and I, and I speak a lot about, which is it's something I've done personally and it's something that's changed my life. Whether it's spirituality or, or you believe in God or whatever it may be, do you think that a lot of times people tend to forget how much intentional power you have within you to control those aspects of your life, whether it's your family, and that sometimes they tend to just say, well, you know, this is just what God gave me or God let this happen instead of taking maybe that personal responsibility of, of taking the time to design it and then buy the practices and buy the things. What's your thoughts on that? Just yeah. I know that's kind of out of the blue, but it's just something I think a lot about. Yeah, that's a great question. And that was actually a real struggle for me, I would say, in my 20s, because here I was very spiritual and trying to follow God as much as I as much as I possibly could and allow God to basically take control of my life and, and you know, direct my my steps and so on. And I found a real conflict for me in terms of, okay, letting God do that. But at the same time, where's my area of responsibility, you know, in that and trying to balance those things. And, you know, that was actually in my, in my early twenties was when I first bought my, my first set of Tony Robbins materials. (laughs) I bought the personal power, you know, cassette series back in 1990. That was tough for me to even pull the trigger on that because it was almost like stepping into a different philosophy of life that, okay, you can take control of your life and you can design your life. And it almost seemed to me the conflict was, should I be the one taking control of my life? Am I now cutting off the possibility for God to run my life? Mm -hmm. Like, am I taking back control in some way? And therefore now I'm less spiritual for doing that. So that was a real conflict for me that I had to work through. And it really kind of came, you know, came down to the sense of, you know, seeking God for that big picture vision of my life and really trying to get some input from God on what, what he had created me to be. What was that ultimate outcome? And did it align with kind of who I felt that I wanted to be as well? Because I think you often find what God wants for you by looking inward and saying, where, where are those desires? You know, why was I given this desire to do this and that and that? Or why was I given these talents? you know, to play music or to communicate or whatever it would be. Why was I given this if now I'm supposed to do something that has nothing to do with any of that, right? So for me, it became like a deep dive into like, okay, who am I? What do I want? Does that come from God, right? Was that put in me by God? Yeah. What does my vision look like? You know, 
And so it's sort of like on the vision level and the desire level, to me, that's where I think you really seek God. Yeah. But then when it comes down to the execution, I think that's where it's like, okay, what can I do on my area of responsibility to control my daily actions? And how do I design a path on a practical level for me to execute that? Yeah. So it's sort of like, I still am all about, you know, seeking input, <laughs> seeking from God and getting leading and direction, but not, you know, yielding the responsibility to God, like God has to make my business happen. He mm -hmm. has to bring in new clients. <laughs> like, you know, on some level he does, right? But I, I think that there's, and how you parse that out, I don't know that you ever really figure that out <laughs> in a knowable way. Am I, have I stepped over to a line? Am I taking too much control? Am I not taking enough? I think, you know, as long as you, your conscience is clear that you're seeking it the right way and you're approaching it the right way, I think that's that healthy sweet spot that feels right. But I don't know that you ever really come up with a great final answer on that. Well, I, I love hearing that from you because I often get a lot of, of uh, just kind of like a, a backlash on that regard. I'm very much the type of person that I think, you know, I, I believe in God and I think God plays an important role in my life. At the same time, I believe that God rewards action. And I have had a this talk with so many of, of my friends and, and uh, business colleagues, and I've found there's a pattern to the people that are usually saying, well, you know, if almost to the extent to say, if, if you try to do too much, then, you know, you're dishonoring God's will that you really just need to let God control it are often broke financially. Yeah. And, and I don't think yeah. that's God's plan for you either, because so. along with growth financially often leads to a lot of stress and anxiety and, and a, just an unhealthy lifestyle. And so so I've struggled with that idea of, you know, but anyway, I think what I'm trying to say at the end of the day, I think that God rewards action and mm -hmm. that too many people use it almost as an excuse to not do more, if you will, yeah. or, or to maybe not like what you're what you're saying plan out that vision and realize that you have what it takes within you to make that happen along with God's favor. Yes. But, but it's not that you're having to completely rely on something outside of your own capacity of doing. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. In fact, this is one of the favorite things I used to teach on in my ministry days was that the word faith in the Greek is a verb. It's not a noun and it, it, their action is built into the word faith. So like, you can't be in faith unless there's action attached to it. Now, yeah. there's a difference between works and, and faith. Is that that's a whole other theological argument. But the point is, action is what, you know, facilitates and aligns with the belief, right? So faith is about, you know, seeing things that haven't happened yet. It's about being able to kind of see through time and space into something that is not yet, and then being able to act upon that vision into the future, right? And and do things right. that's going to bring that into reality. So it's a kind of a co-creating action with God. That's how I view it anyway. Do you think you can create your own faith? Or do you think that it has to come from something else? Like, I mean, can you clarify? Do you, do you feel that if, if someone does long enough, like they can create, they can create that, that faith becomes a belief versus a faith versus always thinking, I'm wording this in a horrible way. And, and I know what I want to say, but it's coming out differently. Basically, I guess what I'm trying to say is, do you believe that people can ultimately 
achieve anything it, that they decide to achieve within themselves. Now, granted, you, there's obviously things that are going in the, in sure. the universe and the world or whatever yeah. that are, that are going to play or not play along with your idea, but that if you stick to this idea of doing long enough, I guess it, it essentially replaces the faith because now it's become your reality versus just staying stuck on that, that idea that something bigger has to happen before you're going to transform into, into living the life that in your case, you've helped them write out. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, there are certainly limits, as you've said, I think that, you know, if you're four foot 11, you're probably not going to play in the NBA. <laughs> I think there's, there's things where you've got, okay, there's a lot of people. That's one of the funniest things on the show, like American Idol, where people have stayed in their bedroom and sung to themselves in the mirror all these years. And they think they're a great singer, right? And they try out for American Idol and, you know, that's the whole exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Laughs, you know, it's laughs. It's, it's funny. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's that. But I do think that on a human level, yeah, I mean, once, that was one of the key things that I learned from Tony Robbins was how beliefs are formed, how beliefs are created, and how we do have the capacity to shift our beliefs. So from the standpoint of creating faith, as you're saying, I think it starts there. I think we can shift our identity, who we believe that we are. We can shift our belief system, what we, you know, the kind of rules that we've made about the world, how the world works, what we're capable of. A lot of that stuff was created by other people. Like there was things we heard from other people, parents, authority figures. And we've just walked through life. And this, this belief system was sort of constructed around us and as well as a belief system about ourselves, right? Our identity, who I believe I am. A lot of that stuff is just shaped totally outside of our awareness by other forces. And once we can become conscious of that, you know, what is it that I really, why do I have that rule? Why do I have that limitation on myself? Why do I think the world works that way? How did I connect that because this happened, it means that, right? Yeah. So I think once you learn how beliefs and identity and all of this stuff is constructed, you can then deconstruct it and you can become proactive about creating the person that you want to become and the lifestyle that you want to create and, and everything from that point. So yeah. yes, I, I totally believe that it's, it's about becoming conscious of it though. Like every single day we're operating in unconscious programs. We're just, we just operate most of our day, like not even thinking about what we're doing, you know, the way we turn on the shower, the way we, you know, we just go through this day running pattern after pattern after pattern unconsciously. And we don't realize it. Once you can become aware and go, oh, that's what I'm doing. Now you have the power to make shifts and changes in that. But it's that awareness that you have to have first. You gotta become conscious about those things that you're unconscious about. Yeah. Have you ever read the book, uh, The Four Agreements? I have not read it in full. I have, I've scanned it, yes. It, it's a lot of what you're talking about reminds me a lot of that. Mm. It breaks that down into our subconscious habits that we have that we don't even know that we have yeah. un until you deal with the reality of the situation. Well, we got just a little bit of time, but I have a few more questions I wanted to. Do you believe that, two question, two part question, do you believe that everyone should have a personal brand? And secondly, let's say they have a personal brand. How do you stand now in, in the crowded space in that arena that it's in? Answer your first question. No, I don't believe everyone should have a personal brand. I think there are people that, you know, they're just not comfortable with it. And they're not going to be, you know, somebody who could be in front of the camera. There's a lot of people who are very good at what they do that are more analytical type of people. They're, you know, 
all different personality types. This definitely isn't for everyone, you know? So no, you shouldn't feel like if you're really good at math or you're an engineer, or, you know, and that's the stuff that you like and you would never want to be on camera or on a stage or whatever. I don't think that you need to have a personal brand. That said, I think that we're getting to a point where for a lot of businesses where previously you didn't have to have a personal brand. I think yeah. that increasingly, because we live in a social age, everyone to whatever degree who's an entrepreneur to whatever degree is going to have to probably become a public figure to mm-hmm. some degree. It's kind of not a choice anymore. Yeah. People want, that's how we buy and sell. We get to know people. We get to know the values behind the company and so on. So I think that to some degree, it's not that much of a choice anymore where you, you used to be able to opt out of it. And I think now for a lot of people, there's that pressure where you've got to be now online. You've got to be on social media. Even if you're running primarily offline business, brick and mortar type businesses, you kind of have to do it. So the path to that, that's something that I teach in my power persona framework. And there's a lot to that. There's the inner game side of it. A lot of the stuff that we talked about with beliefs and values, identity, life vision. There's a lot of that stuff, that inner work that I think is the foundation of that. Once you get clear on that stuff, that's when you start to build the outer strategy. Because at the end of the day, it's a very crowded marketplace out there. There's a lot of voices, a lot of people looking for our attention. And in order to stand out, you really have to be the best version of yourself, the most charismatic, the most enthusiastic, the most excited. Right? And you've got to be able to message that well as well. So it all kind of comes together. But very few people are going to really pop and become a star in their niche. So there's a lot of inner work and strategy that goes into being able to do that, as well as massive execution and action. So it can be done, but there's a path and a track for how to do that systematically. There's some people that are just great. They pop right away. They're a star from day one. That's not going to happen for most people. For most people, it's going to be going through a process and figuring a lot of things out and experimenting and testing and ultimately getting there. Do you think that we'll see business trust shift in the future based off whether the leader has a personal brand or how people perceive him personally? Yes. And I also think that where things are going with personal brand, you see, it used to be with personal brand and maybe to some degree it is now where you kind of had to quote unquote pick a lane and you had to be like known for that one thing. Like mm-hmm. I'm the guy who sells the screwdriver yeah. and you're known for the screwdriver and for the rest of your life, you know, you're Mr. Screwdriver. Mm-hmm. I think that as time has gone on, people want to get to know more about us and all different aspects of our lives and our interests and, you know, the, the thing, our beliefs and values, right? Yeah. So I think that the personal brand is now expanding from, you know, being about that one thing So now it's a deeper thing. It's people, you know, they want to build a tribe, right? People who all share what we're about and our style and our, you know, belief system, like I said. So I think where things are going is people are going to start to identify with us, let's say, even on our politics. I I honestly believe, I think you're going to have a brand built around your, like if you're whatever, your political bent, you start to bring that into your brand, you're going to attract a lot of people who could buy a screwdriver from the other guy but they like your politics and they like your worldview. They like your sense of humor, the music that you're into, et cetera. And I think building a fully rounded personal brand is really where the future is going. And I do think you're going to get a lot of brand loyalty based on (laughs) those other peripheral aspects that don't necessarily have to do with the product itself. 
Use my pillow for an example. People are buying my pillows not just because of the pillows. Let's yeah. just say, right? Is that a dangerous road to go down? Like me, because we're yeah. and it either it either means that I think that's just what we'll have to find out. But I'm curious as to what your thoughts are to that as far as should you brand. You know, I always, I'll never forget, my, my mother taught me, uh, don't ever talk about religion or politics, as many people's mothers have or fathers have sure, taught sure. that. I, but now I'm curious, do you think that people can still build a brand? And the reason I'm asking this is there's some some very well-known podcasters or influencers in the world that, that I personally really questioned everything you're talking about. Like, what do they, you know, you start to wonder like, Hey, I love this message, but what does this guy really believe? Is he just saying this or does he really believe this? And do you think ultimately that's what it's going to come down to is people will only follow those that they know, believe what they do and, and practice that. Yeah. I, I think it has to be authentic to you. Like, let's say, you know, you're a person that doesn't really have strong opinions in those areas, controversial areas. Mm-hmm. why don't fake it now that you're going to, you're going to take on some yeah. you know, political right. cause or something. I, I, I think it's got to be authentic to you. And I would say this is something for me that I've, I have not yet really bit the bullet and, and become much more opinionated. I'm still trying to play that, you know, broader category sort of a thing. I haven't really figured out yet. Can I, can I go there or do I need to go there yet? Mm-hmm. So I think there's people in my space, like, let's say like Brendan Burchard or, People like like you, they, they never talk about anything controversial, Michael Hyatt or people like that. But then there's others who do, you know, and I, I think it maybe has, has something to do with the size of the, the space that you're in. Are you in a large market where taking those stances would really differentiate you? And there's enough of a market that would go with you. If you're in this little tiny market, do you need to take a stand on politics yeah. or something? Yeah. Maybe it doesn't make sense. So I think it, you know, I think it depends. Like, you know, if you're a massage therapist, does somebody really want a super opinionated? <laughs> so so I, it kind of has to fit. I think it kind of has to make sense and, and it has to be authentic to you. If yeah. you are a person that has really strong beliefs and you're finding yourself, I've got to bite my tongue all the time. I can't say anything that I really believe. You know, you, it's time to consider, well, can't, maybe that's a false belief. Maybe you should be. Maybe it's time to start stepping up and becoming more vocal on things or finding outlets for you to do that. That might be, maybe you create second or third brands that are outside of your main one, but you're kind of now dipping your toe in that area. You know, you got to see it in your own individual case. But I do think overall as a trend, I do think that people are going to want to know more about you and where do you really stand on things and why they want to know, you know, I don't know, but they do. Yeah. (laughs) To what you said earlier about, you know, kind of playing the medium aspect of it, which is me too. It's it's because I'm really not opinionated very much on either one. And I think quite honestly, that's where the majority of humans find themselves. It's just that there's so much noise coming from the extreme sides of it, if you will. And so I've just been curious as to how that will develop if people will ultimately have to pick a side, if you will. And I think that's a dangerous precedent to set, but it'll just be interesting to see how that pans out. Yeah, I don't think like Domino's Pizza is necessarily going to have to take like it depends on the the kind of business. But I do think in the personal brand area, solo entrepreneur, you're the face of the business, depending on the subject matter that you're involved in. You know, I do think that it it probably is going to trend that way. And at some point, 
you know, at least that decision will have to be made. Do I go for it? Do I not go for it? And do I just take a stand in my business? You know what? I don't deal in these areas at all. And you're just very upfront about that, you know, and that's what you tell your audience. You know, I, I'm no, I don't have really strong stances in these areas. My main interest is in this and that's what I'm about. And if you don't like it, you know, then yeah. that's, then, then you're just going to have to stay there. Yeah. Well, we're, we're up on time, but I, I do appreciate the time you, you put sure. in. One more question, which may tie into what we've just been talking about. But if you were given that world stage and, and, and the world is watching and you want them to, to you know, kind of know what Rocky Buckley, uh, how do they remember Rocky Buckley by? What do you think the world needs to hear right now? Yeah, to circle back to kind of what I had been mentioning earlier about kind of doing a deep dive into what was I passionate about and all of that stuff. That deep dive revealed to me that the thing that makes me sort of like super passionate and kind of angry and driven is this whole idea of people's potential and people who waste their potential, whether it's consciously or just they're stuck in life. They just haven't found their thing, but there's there's so much potential in the world that's unrealized. If you look all around us, there's so much talent that has never been actualized. People who have were given gifts and abilities that they got stuck in life and, and those things are still trapped inside of them. And to me, like my thing is, how can I help people unlock their potential and really become the full version of that person they were created to be? I want that for myself, but that is also the thing that I see in other people. And I you know, I was a really high potential kid. You know, I kind of went in directions that kind of allowed me to not really fulfill my potential. And I really had to unlock a lot of that and figure a lot of that stuff out. So that's the thing that I, I would say I want to be most about helping people unlock their potential. I like that. How can people find you? And we'll put all this, all your links in the show notes as well. But where do you hang out the most? Like whether it's social media or if someone wants to work with you is the best way for them just to go to your website and go from there. Yeah, the best place to find me, you can talk with me, connect with me all day is inside of my free Facebook group called the Power Persona Project. So go to powerpersonaproject.com. It'll take you right to the Facebook group. You can jump in for free. And I'm in there, you know, engaging all day long and connecting with my audience and the people in my group. We've got a great community, you know, inside of there. I, I interview people like Kevin Harrington from Shark Tank, Bob Berg, Stu McLaren, a lot of other, you know, superstars, as well as great, you know, in, engagement, conversation, and so on. So powerpersonaproject.com is the place to connect with me first. All right. Well, we'll put it up in the show notes and then, right. yeah. And, and thanks again for all Thank you so much. What a great conversation. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Different, very different. Yeah, yeah, it you. wasn't really what the, what I was expecting. Yeah, that's really uh, cool. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you so much.